Hello there, I'm Benny. And I'm Kyle. And you're listening to The Doctor's Watcher. The podcast where I watch Doctor Who and I tell you all about it. Hi Kyle. Hi Benny, how's it going today? Um, you know, so-so. <laughs> but I'm glad that we're recording The Doctor's Watcher. Um, and I know that you've watched Doctor Who and I can't wait for you to tell me about it. Indeed. Um, before we start the episode, one thing I wanted to begin with is that when I was, um, doing the, the first pass edit for episode, um, 16, I believe it was, um, I noticed that like, we're really kind of picking up the pace on these episodes. We don't have as many like pauses for me to go through and uh, delete. And um, I was just thinking, you know, how nice it is that it seems like we're hitting our stride. Um, or, or maybe, I don't know, maybe it helps that we're recording from separate locations in some ways because um, we can focus more on the uh, pauses and gaps and conversation back and forth and that sort of thing. I don't know. I don't know what it is. I, I just think it's nice that uh, um, I'm I'm not removing as many pauses from the recordings anymore, and I think they still sound good. I think that makes sense. So, yeah, yeah I don't even know what I'm trying to say. I don't know if I'm <laughs> going to leave any of this in, but, um, yeah, I, I thought that was cool, and I hope that the episodes are still good to listen to. Yeah, for sure. I was, you know, my job in the editing process. I don't know if it's less work than your job or if it's just different work or what, but, you know, I mainly put in like clips from the show and other noises and whatnot that our listeners might hear during the, during the podcast. And, uh, uh-huh. yeah, I've noticed a few times when I've been working on it, you know, I end up doing the editing generally at least a few weeks after we've recorded and so, you know, I've usually forgotten half of what we talked about. <laughs> <laughs> and then when I'm editing it later, sometimes I'll actually like laugh out loud. And I'm like, oh, huh. If I'm laughing at my own podcast, at something that like I or Benny said, probably that's a good sign. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I tend to when you when you finish your final edit and you start uploading it to Podbean, um, I know that you always, you usually let me know, and then I go and listen to it on the Google Drive where we keep the various versions of each episode. Um, and yeah, it's just it's just nice. Uh, I, I, I enjoy listening to it. I think it's a fun podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like I listen to several other podcasts, usually, you know, more professional podcasts, but we also listen to one made by um, our friends. So, mm-hmm. yeah, it's but it's, yeah, it's fun to listen to our podcast. <laughs> I yeah. hope you think so too, listeners. I mean, <laughs> if you've made it to episode eighteen, I hope you're not just suffering, uh, you know, on uh, out of friendship or something. <laughs> but thank you, thank you for listening, and we uh-huh. appreciate you. I will say that. These days, I'm really not commuting to and from work, and that was my main podcast listening time. And so I'm trying to find other times to listen to podcasts, and I have fallen behind on a lot of the ones I listen to, but I do 
always stay caught up on the doctor's watcher. Oh, <laughs> uh, good. I'm glad to hear it. So, um, shall we start the next episode? We shall. writer for, or the writer from shang Tu. i'm actually not sure it's funny you make that correction because i'm not 100 percent sure if it was a writer or the writer or if it was just writer from shang Tu. are we seeing writer like someone who writes something down or writer like someone who rides a horse uh the latter someone who rides a horse oh interesting for some reason i was picturing somebody who's writing something like you know <laughs> with a quill pen or something Interesting. Cool. All right, we got a writer. We got a writer incoming from Shang Tu. Um, so when last we left our heroes, we're, we're recording this episode right after the last one, so I still remember it pretty well. Um, <laughs> Ian had just like sneaked out of the tent where they were being held captive. He cut his way out the back with his broken plate, um, and he was sneaking, sneaking up on the uh, the guard. Um, and he thought he had rolled well on his stealth check. Turns out that the stealth check DC was zero because <laughs> this guard came pre-killed. <laughs> it's always nice, like, you know, I mean, on, on the one hand, it's, you know, it's great when you actually do roll well on your stealth checks, but, you know, it's just so much easier when the guard is pre-killed. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, I don't think that Ian was intending to kill the guard. <laughs> Probably just like put him in a sleeper hold or something. Uh-huh. Uh, kind of raises the question of how this like high school physics teacher or science teacher um, knows how to take out a guard. <laughs> That's a good point. Um, Maybe he used to be the gym teacher or something. <laughs> Taught wrestling. Yeah. <laughs> Um, cool. Well, now I guess we're going to find out, uh, probably what Tagana and his shady buddies have in store for our heroes. Indeed. We cut directly from this cliff dangler of Ian discovering the guards already dead to a very brief conversation between shady dude Akamat and another shady dude where other shady dude confirms that Marco Polo's caravan is surrounded and they all know what Tagana's sign for them to attack is. He's going to wave a burning torch in the air. Well, I, uh, I know last time I said that Akamat will always be shady dude to me, but I'm glad that we have a name for him now. There are multiple <laughs> shady dudes. I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> This, this serial ends up having a lot of shady dudes, actually. <laughs> Thank you for preparing me. <laughs> so I'm pretty sure the only purpose of this scene was to like remind the viewers what the plan was from the previous episode. Mm-hmm. You know, shady dude is going to attack. The attack's going to happen when Tagana waves the burning torch. Did we know about the burning torch yet in the last episode? You know, we might not have, actually. This might be new information. That's a pretty cool signal. Yeah. He's got style. (laughs) 
we cut back to our heroes who are all out in the courtyard now. And the doctor is asking Ian if he killed the guard. And Ian's like, no, of course not. He was dead. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, like the doctor was going to kill a caveman. So guard, (laughs) caveman, whatever. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) They figure that probably they're about to be attacked by bandits. Like, that's what they think the dead guard is probably a signal of. I think that's a pretty good assumption. (laughs) Yeah. So the doctor suggests that they should carry out their plan of getting the TARDIS keys back and G-ing TFO as quickly as possible. And nobody suggests, hmm, how did Marco Polo die? Was it in a bandit attack? If not, (laughs) maybe we should uh, stick around a bit. Uh Uh-huh. They look over and see Tagana preparing his torch in the fire. He doesn't see them, but they see him, and they realize that it's already too late to escape the bandit attack. So Ian goes off to warn Marco. They could have just, like, you know, put out his torch, and then be like, oh yeah, how are you going to send a signal now, Tagana? What's up? <laughs> So Ian warns Marco, and Marco comes to let Tagana know, because, you know, Marco (laughs) still thinks Tagana is trustworthy. Tagana's like, yeah, I know, buddy. (laughs) No shit. (laughs) (laughs) So, you know, Marco and Tagana, like, start preparing for the attack. Tagana just kind of, like, casually tosses his signal torch back into the fire without having given, given the signal. Oh, interesting. And... He immediately questions why Ian is out of the tent that they were being kept in. And Marco is not too concerned about this because a guard is dead and they're going to be attacked. Mm -hmm. So he just wants to get everyone armed and like in a defensive position. Well, it is cool of Marco not to suspect Ian of having killed the guard. Yeah. So Marco you know, in preparation for this bandit attack, starts distributing swords to Ian and the doctor. Ian doesn't know how to use a sword, but he says, We're given half a chance, I'll learn. Cool. I like that can-do attitude. Yeah. Yeah, Ian's got some great optimism. Also, even though he might not know, like, sword play and fencing and all that, like, I feel like the, the basics are pretty easy to figure out. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he knows stick him with a pointy end, at least. He knows as much as young Arya. When Marco hands a sword to the doctor, Marco Polo says, You're half as aggressive with this as you are with your tongue, doctor. We can't lose. (laughs) Oh, burn. (laughs) (laughs) So, yeah, even back in the, what is this, the 13th century, 14th, maybe, I don't remember, but... Whenever this is, they've still got good burns. Nice. And Tagana's like, that burn was just as good as my torch. I mean, my (laughs) random piece of kindling that I just decided to throw back onto the fire. Uh (laughs) Uh-huh. The doctor's like, you know, we could just, like, use the TARDIS to, like, get the fuck out of here away from all the bandits. Hmm. I like that plan. Yeah. Tagana's like, 
I don't believe there are any bandits. I think that guard was just... He had a bad heart. <laughs> <laughs> he had a, a poor diet, and it finally uh -huh. caught up to him. <laughs> he had sleep, sleep apnea, and he was snoozing <laughs> on the job. <laughs> so, yeah, Marco, like, mentions the dead guard. Tagana is like, yeah, but they could have killed him. Oh, okay, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> <There> we go. <laughs> so he tells Marco that if he enters the doctor's caravan, it will destroy him. And the doctor is like, If you believe that, Polo, you're a bigger fool than even I think you are. Oh, God. <laughs> so we're just trading he, birds he just, here. He just never turns it off. But it's just <laughs> like... <laughs> Marco decides that he doesn't trust the doctor, since the doctor has deceived him before. Because he's just being a straight-up asshole all uh -huh. the time. <laughs> when it's not even necessary or, you know, convenient. <laughs> So, yeah, he decides that they're not going to use the TARDIS. He says, There are bandits. We shall fight. Okay. Doctor really doesn't like the idea of using these, like, primitive swords, though. He says, Well, we're not going to get very far with this overgrown bread knife. We have to use more enterprise than this. O overgrown? Like, does he think that a bread knife comes from a bread knife tree and this one was <laughs> just left on the vine too long? Uh-huh. I mean, maybe that's how it works on Gallifrey. Who knows? <laughs> Actually, that's kind of awesome. Headcanon accepted. Yeah, yeah, they have knife trees on Gallifrey. <laughs> Swords are just overgrown knives. <laughs> <laughs> but Ian's like, yeah, the doctor has the best intelligence stat of any of us. Isn't there something he can roll that would be based, based on that? Yes. <laughs> And the GM decides to let him use his int to come up with a distraction. But apparently William Hartnell flubs the role because it's actually Ian who comes up with the idea of throwing bamboo on the fire in the hopes that it will expand and blow up and the noise will scare and distract the bandits. Huh. Yeah, I mean, I have been in D&D &D games where somebody like figures out a plan but then rolls really badly and their players are like uh i look around too or you know <laughs> i'll try deciphering the note or something and then it's uh -huh. just like okay everyone roll <laughs> <laughs> meanwhile we cut back to akamat and all the other shady dudes who are all getting pretty impatient waiting for tigana's attack signal mm-hmm they rip on him a little bit for being an old. They think that, like, maybe he fell asleep or something. But they basically decide that the moon is about to rise, and when that happens, they're going to lose the cover of darkness. So if he hasn't signaled for the attack by then, they'll just go ahead and do it then. <laughs> All right. Yeah. Cool. I, I like that kind of, you know... We'll just we'll just go for it. We'll figure it out. Right. They also decide that when they attack, they're not going to make any stealth checks like Tagana wanted. <laughs> Instead, we'll make sport of it. Yeah. Well, we'll do this the fun way. <laughs> uh huh. <laughs> so we cut back to Ian and Marco, who are stacking bamboo by the fire in preparation and Marco 
asks Ian if he was trying to escape earlier, which Ian confirms, you know, no point like trying to lie about it. Sure. And yeah. Yeah. Marco's like, even though failure might have meant that. And Ian's just like, we hoped we'd succeed. Nice. Which, yeah, I, I dig it. <laughs> I said this just a minute ago, but yeah, I love Ian's optimism. Yes. <laughs> Marco is basically just like, well, I guess I'm just going to have to, like, watch you more closely in the future then. Oh, sparks fly. <laughs> well, it was, I don't know, it was interesting. He kind of said it, like, in a friendly way, sort of. So I wasn't mm. quite sure. Yeah. Like, they uh, realized... Barbara may have some competition there. <laughs> oh, yeah? Barbara, What are we going to have... call this? Uh, Markian... <laughs> Barbara, do you have a Wikipedia page? No. <laughs> Look how freaking long Marco Polo's is. <laughs> so they realize that the moon is nearly up, and the bamboo is going to need time to heat up, like once they throw it in the fire. So Marco decides to gamble that the attack is going to happen at moonrise. <laughs> random guess uh-huh. <laughs> he's like that's when I would attack and so they decide to just like go ahead and throw the bamboo into the fire now you know to start it getting ready mm-hmm. you gotta pre preheat your bamboo right Tagana is still insisting that there are no bandits and that it was all a ruse but like just after he insists this they all see a flock of birds take flight in the bamboo forest. Nice. And, you know, just a few moments later, of course, the attack happens. John Woo style, I assume. Uh-huh. <laughs> get like the flock of doves or whatever flying right. out before the fight. Yeah, who knew that John Woo was influenced by lost episodes of Doctor Who? <laughs> Well, there you go, listeners. <laughs> There's your random fact that may or may not be completely made up. So the the scene of the attack was another scene that I really wished we actually had the actual video of. Because basically what I got to see and hear was a lot of shouting and clinking of swords. Mm -hmm. But it seemed like there were only a few telesnaps taken, maybe. So it just kind of like shows the same few static images of fighting a few different times as the scene kind of goes on. Hmm. Like, based on the telesnaps, how many extras do you think they had for the bandits? I'm going to guess... Like five to ten, maybe ten's probably oh, okay. pushing it. Probably more like five to eight. Yeah, just based on my days of having watched like Xena Warrior Princess type shows, I always assume that groups of bandits are like you know, yeah, five or six dudes. Yeah, <laughs> even armies are like maybe twenty, eight or nine. Okay, yeah, twenty for oh, the season yeah. finale. That's for the season, yeah. <laughs> So at some point during this fight, 
shady dude Akamat sees Tagana and is like, what the fuck, dude, you're awake? <laughs> what and, is the signal? <laughs> and so Tagana kills him. What? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Overreact much? Uh-huh. And this is about when the bamboo starts exploding and all the rest of the shady dudes run back into the forest. And Marco is like, sweet, it worked. The, uh, the bandits thought there were devils in the fire and fled. Uh-huh. But the doctor's like, no, dude, it's because their leader was killed. Hmm. And Tagana says, Well, in battle, all men face death. And the doctor's like, Don't few expect to meet it, hmm? Well, I wonder, was Akamat the bandit's leader, or, like, uh, is Tagana, like, actually the dude in charge? Actually, do we know that? Do we know, like, you know, if one of them is, are they, like, accomplices together, or is one of them in charge? Um, I think the doctor was implying that Akamat was the bandit's leader, and... Yeah. Yeah, I'm pretty sure he's actually correct. I think the impression I'm getting is that like Tagana basically hired Akamat and like, you know, all I guess that makes sense. Akamat, basically. So yeah, yeah like Akamat cause... is like Tagana's contractor. <laughs> cause, cause Tagana is like a Mongol warlord and right. Akamat is, I guess a more, more local guy. Yeah. He knows all the ins and outs of local banditry. <laughs> cool. You know, it's when you're doing that kind of thing, it's really helpful to get someone local because, like, you need to make sure you've got all the proper paperwork and stuff. <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, otherwise, you're just going to have to do it all afterwards. And yeah. that just takes all the fun out of it. And, you know, like, it changes from jurisdiction to jurisdiction. Oh, sure. Yeah. <laughs> Hello. This is Dalek Kyle. I hope you are enjoying this podcast. If so, please leave a five-star review on iTunes and tell your friends about the podcast. If you are not enjoying it, you can leave a five-star review anyway to give Benny and I a false sense of security. Thank you for listening. So we get another Indiana Jones map captain's log where Marco basically says that the next day, you know, like the day after this overnight bandit attack, they basically only traveled until midday because everyone was so tired. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, they stopped traveling at noon. And in the tent that day, Barbara, Ian, and the doctor are all discussing whether Marco's going to punish them for their escape attempt that night, given that it resulted in them saving the whole caravan from the bandits. Heck yeah. And they're also considering how, if or how they're going to try to escape again, when Marco and Tagana basically come into the tent and Marco asks them if they'll promise to not attempt another escape. <laughs> like, yes. Uh-huh. That was easy. <laughs> <laughs> they all just kind of look around at each other and Ian's like, ah, oh, I guess. And, you know, the doctor points out that, like, they saved Marco's life. 
Mm-hmm. And Marco says that in exchange for saving his life, he is revoking the official seizure of the TARDIS by official decree. Sweet. And Ian's like, What you're really saying, Marco, is that we're no longer Kublai Khan's prisoners, only yours, eh? Oh, interesting. Uh, yeah, and Marco's like, yep, exactly. Huh. He does say that, like, Susan and Ping Cho can hang out together again. Uh-uh. And our heroes will no longer be kept under guard at night. But he is going to still keep the TARDIS keys. Oh, uh, jerk. You know, I know that they've already tried to convince Marco Polo that Tagana is bad news and Marco didn't believe them. But I feel like, if it were me, I feel like I'd keep trying that. <laughs> like, uh, hey, Marco, have you, uh, have you thought about it? <laughs> have you considered the evidence? Uh-huh. Remember when I said to keep an open mind? <laughs> also, remember when some random guard just, like, died and we never figured out who literally murdered him? <laughs> <laughs> hmm. Somebody must have. So Marco and Tagana leave the tent, and our heroes actually begin discussing Tagana. And they start to think that maybe he is implicated in the bandit attack because (laughs) like, you know, as far as they saw, he was tending the fire, but that is a menial job for the guard to do. Of course, the Mm -hmm. guard was dead, Mm -hmm. but if Tagana knew the guard was dead and thus was tending (laughs) the fire himself, then why didn't he say anything? Good question. And then Maybe Barbara he wasn't tending the fire. <laughs> Barbara actually realizes at this point that, like, you know, that morning, it it had been mentioned in Marco's captain log, captain's log, that you know they had like buried the dead from the bandit fight before they set off that morning. Mm. And Barbara actually realizes at this point that she recognizes or she recognized the dead bandit that they buried and that he was in the cave of 500 eyes. Oh, so now they're like, they're sure that Tagana's up to something mm-hmm. and that they're in his way, mm-hmm. but they're not sure what he's after. Well, it's nothing good. Uh huh. Ian, like they think about, they wonder whether he's after the TARDIS but Ian doesn't think so, because... He's terrified of it. Must be something else. Hmm. I guess that's kind of an interesting conclusion. Uh-huh. At this point, Ping Cho enters to announce a visitor for Marco. And so she lets Marco know, but as she, you know, she enters his room in the tent to tell him she sees him hiding the TARDIS keys in his journal. Hmm. But he sees that she sees, and he's like, hey, do you promise not to tell anyone where these keys are? (laughs) And she agrees. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How that works out. (laughs) (laughs) Meanwhile, out in like the lobby area of the tent or whatever, Ian has started chatting with the visitor Ling Tao, who left Sheng Tu yesterday, 
and has traveled 300 miles to arrive here. Whoa. Yeah, they're all just like flabbergasted that he's able to go so far so fast. And he explains to him, he explains to them that he changes horses every league and he doesn't rest until he reaches his destination. Whoa, Pony Express style. Yeah, basically. He like he wears bells on his waist so the post house will hear him coming and like get the next horse ready. So yeah, he just has to like ride in, hop from one horse to the next and ride off. That's a cool idea. Yeah. I mean, imagine eventually you get tired of the sound of bells as you're riding, but <laughs> still it helps That's to uh, true. make your ride a little more efficient. Uh-huh. So, yeah, you know, the doctor's like, damn, you know, most people like, can't even ride 25 miles in a day. Mm-hmm. You go 300. And the dude's like, yeah, like it would just like shake us apart. Uh, he says, uh, Our bodies would be shaken to pieces, my lord, were it not for these. Bound tight like this one on my head. So, like, I guess headbands oh, okay, hold, hold them together. Like how that works. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> it was not quite clear because I just, you know, am watching static images. But mm-hmm. but he was wearing a headband. So I guess if you tie yourself up with tight enough headbands, then you can ride horses forever. <laughs> uh, listeners, we don't recommend testing that theory. <laughs> <laughs> so Marco enters the room uh oh i should mention in case it was unclear that this is in fact the writer from sheng Tu, but they did not say the episode title they really did just like blow all their fireworks <laughs> budget a few episodes ago yeah alas so marco enters the room and ling tao gives him a note from kublai khan which marco reads and he's like, shit, Khan wants to see me ASAP. We've got to leave here at once. And he basically says that they're going to have to ride hard for six days to reach the next city on their map. And from there, they can get horses to Sheng Tu, where the Khan is at his summer palace. Hmm. All of their luggage and everything, including the TARDIS, is just going to have to, like, follow along behind them on just some regular trade caravan that follows the route. This seems like a bad idea on multiple levels. Uh-huh. Yeah, so they're basically just going to have to, like, get the express tickets to Sheng Tu and, like, ship their luggage and ship the TARDIS <laughs> behind them. Yeah, like, I don't think that these four English people who might never have ridden a horse in their lives are really going to do so great on this (laughs) long horse voyage and Uh also leaving the TARDIS on like, you know, some random uh, trade caravan. Also not the best idea. Yeah. I mean, I hope that Marco just has enough, enough headbands for them all. (laughs) (laughs) I forgot about the, the magic of the headbands. Oh, you're right. I'm sure they'll be fine. (laughs) We have another Indiana Jones map captain's log to just skip past the six days of hard riding and cut straight to Chengting, which is the next city on their map. Oh, that's another way to, you know, not have to worry about riding if you're not a good rider. (laughs) Just do a little cut scene. Uh Uh-huh. And in 
Cheng Ting, they meet with, I guess, like a concierge or something mm-hmm. named Wang Lo. And Marco informs Wang Lo that they're heading to Sheng Tu tomorrow. The doctor's only concern is where the TARDIS is. He thought it was going to be set up in the courtyard. And Wang Lo is just like, oh, what the fuck's this guy talking about? Mm. And Marco's like, oh, his caravan. And... Wang Lo says that he had to move to the stables. He couldn't just leave it in the hanging gardens. So how how did the the TARDIS on some random like you know trade caravan arrive before or around the same time as our heroes who just rode hard for six days? That is a very good question. That is not at all addressed. <laughs> <laughs> but I was wondering the same. Like it was supposed to be like behind him, right? Mm-hmm. But like, they've arrived in Chengting. They're obviously not sticking around for long. They're gonna like head out the next day, basically. Mm-hmm. But it seems like the doctor expects the TARDIS to already be there ahead of them and set up. <laughs> and like, it actually sounds like the TARDIS is already there. It's just not set up in the courtyard because Wang Lo like says that he moved it to the stables. Mm-hmm. So yeah, somehow it is never explained, but the trade caravan that was supposed to follow managed to apparently beat them to Chengting in their six days of hard riding. <laughs> yeah, they could have just got on the trade caravan. I'm sure it would have been nicer. <laughs> the doctor's pretty offended by the idea of the TARDIS being in the stables. Mm-hmm. He's like, what does he think it is, a potting shed or something? Hmm. Oh, I was, I was hoping there'd be a hmm. I thought, you know, potting shed, if that's what Wing Lo thought, is not necessarily a bad guess. You know, he doesn't have, like, any context for the TARDIS or any idea what it might be. Like, potting shed seems as reasonable as anything else. Yeah, it looks more like a potting shed than like a caravan. Yeah. At one point, I don't remember which episode exactly this was in, but Tagana tells somebody that it's a magician's tomb, which I also thought is a pretty, pretty reasonable assumption. Yeah. It looks like it could be like cool a, too. a tomb-y coffin thing. That'd be a good name for an album. Magician's Tomb. Heck yeah. Yeah. I would listen to that. So Marco arranges for all of his luggage, including the TARDIS, to follow along to Shengtu on the next commerce caravan, which is apparently going to be in two days. So I guess in this case, they are going to beat it because they're leaving tomorrow. The caravan's mm-hmm. not leaving for two days. Gotcha. We cut over to Susan and Ping Cho, who are hanging out at this fish pond in, you know, like the Chengting Gardens. And they're comparing the goldfish in the pond to various people that they know. (laughs) (laughs) The fat, smooth and silky one is Wang Lo. The solemn one is Marco Polo. (laughs) The one dashing around all over the place is Ian. Okay. The independent one off by itself is Barbara. Hmm. And Ping Cho says that the wicked one is Susan. 
<laughs> and for Ping Cho, Susan points out... That little pretty one down there with the wedding veil. Aww. But, yeah, that comment seems to, like, make Ping Cho a little bit upset, so Susan apologizes, and it well, turns yeah, out... I think... Oh, go ahead. Oh, uh, um, yeah, it turns out that Ping Cho, like, really misses her home in Samarkand. Hmm. Yeah, I, I I do think it's cute that they're, you know, coming up with fish sonas for their friends. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah, Ping Cho misses her home in Samarkand, and she starts asking Susan about her home again. And she asks if she'll be able to reach it from Venice, which Susan says that she won't. Mm-hmm. And Ping Cho realizes that if Marco gives the TARDIS to Kublai Khan, that Susan will never see her home again. Mm-hmm. But, you know, she's torn because she tells Susan that she promised Marco not to tell anyone where the key is. <laughs> and Susan promises Ping Cho that no one will ask her. Interesting. Yeah. I'm sure that for real, like if we consider the fact that this is an actual episode with writers from the 50s or whatever, I'm sure that they weren't actually like writing these two characters to sound like they're flirting. But how much did it sound like they were flirting? Oh, totally. Okay. Yeah. (laughs) Ping Cho comparing Susan to the wicked goldfish. Yeah. Yeah. And And then Susan Susan saying that one's pretty. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, I I think I would definitely be uh, a Sucho shipper. <laughs> uh, yes. So we cut to a brief scene where Tagana meets with the local Chengting shady dude, uh, who's working in the, the the local representative of the shady dudes chapter. <laughs> right. Yeah. The the shady, the shady dude dudes union. organization. <laughs> yeah. uh, it turns out local shady dude is in the stables, which is, you know, lucky because that's where the TARDIS is. And mm-hmm. Tagana arranges for the, the sh- shady dude organization to steal the TARDIS for him. So I guess Ian is wrong when he thinks that Tagana is not after the TARDIS. Um, yeah, I was, I was kind of wondering where that conclusion had come from. Um, yeah. Also, I just said I just said a second ago that this is fifties. I was wrong. I forgot this is the sixties. But, <laughs> but still, I think we may have made a similar mistake in a previous episode. I don't know. Oh, at don't least remember once. For sure, but... <laughs> Possibly several times. <laughs> Listeners, consider this a a correction for every and all mistakes we've made. Yes. We hereby correct them. Yes. <laughs> In fact, we retroactively removed them, so we never, we never made any mistakes. Ha <laughs> ha! You can no longer write to us, or you know, feel free. Maybe, maybe write to us and tell us all our mistakes. Maybe that way we'll get more people writing to us. Yeah, I, I wouldn't mind an email, even if it lists our mistakes. <laughs> At least we know somebody's listening. <laughs> there you go, listeners. There's your, <laughs> there's your in. So Ping Cho goes to tell Marco that it's dinner time. And when he leaves the room, she takes the TARDIS key out of his journal. And 
she goes off and like gives it to Susan. Well, she did technically not tell anyone where it was. She just took it herself. Exactly. Yeah, Susan's like, <laughs> But you promised Master Marco. And Ping Cho says, Not to tell anyone. I haven't. You don't know where I got it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> uh, I, I, I dig that. That's, that's pretty yeah. great. <laughs> but, you know, I guess it does mean that Susan actually is a bad influence on Ping Cho. I think, I think Ping Cho's into it, though. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So she gives Susan the key, and she makes Susan repeat her promise to come say goodbye before leaving. Oh. Which, you know, was sad, but understandable, I suppose. Yeah. So that night, our heroes are getting all prepared to head out and load up into the TARDIS. But, of course, there's a guard watching the TARDIS, or watching the courtyard, basically, that the stable is off of. And so Ian has an idea for a distraction. He, Ian grabs a jug of wine and starts like staggering around acting drunk. And he offers it to the guard. And so then like Ian and the guard are like drinking wine together, basically. Oh, nice. It worked. And he's you know he distracts the guard as the barbara and the doctor come through the courtyard and ian actually like attacks the guard and knocks him out cool uh yeah a whole series of good roles there um yeah, on part very surprised that all worked <laughs> yeah uh so they get they get through the courtyard to the stables where the tardis is but none of them had noticed Susan running off in the other direction because she remembered her promise to Ping Cho and like Mm -hmm. has to go say goodbye. Yeah. So she runs off. Nobody in the group realize that Tagana, of course, watches the whole thing and sees this all happen. Oh, that Tagana. Up to no good. We cut to a minute later inside the TARDIS where Barbara and Ian and the doctor are about to close the TARDIS doors when they realize that Susan's not there. And Barbara realizes that she must have gone off to say goodbye to Ping Cho. Mm -hmm. The doctor flips out, saying, What on earth is that child think she's doing? Great Olympus! (laughs) Interesting, you know, turn a phrase for someone who's not from Earth. Yeah. Well, he's probably Maybe. referring to like the, the Olympus Nebula or something. <laughs> Ian's like, dude, chill. Don't panic. Give her a second. I knocked out the guard. We cut back to Susan, who has at this point already said goodbye to Ping Cho. That was off screen. We didn't get to see that. Oh, that's kind of sad. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if that's just to save time or what, but I feel like they they could have put that scene in, but they chose not to. Yeah, given like how many times Ping Cho asked her to say goodbye, and then like yeah. Susan ran back specifically to say goodbye. So she is sneaking back across the courtyard towards the TARDIS, and just as she's about to reach the TARDIS, 
Tigana comes out of the shadows and grabs her. Because of course and, he does. Yeah. And the words next episode, Mighty Kublai Khan appear on screen. There we go. That that sounds like it might be more of a of a serial finale, or you know, maybe not, but it certainly has a bit more oomph to it than a writer from Shang Tu. Yeah, that's true. And and you know, I guess in this one, they're setting up like the TARDIS is all fixed. Mm-hmm. We're ready to go. We just need to like get to it and leave. Yeah, but you, you can't. That... You, you can't just leave. Like, come yeah. on, like. You gotta like tie up the Marco Polo storyline. Tagana is still out there. Um, I don't know if we'll ever see the bandits again, but you never know that that might come up again. And yeah, we still haven't seen Kublai Khan. Yeah, yeah. There's definitely too many too many loose threads to have ended it on this episode. <laughs> it's well, interesting cool. though how they keep kind of like setting it up like, oh, we're we're going to go. We're just about to go. Let's leave now. And then something comes up and they can't go. They, I feel like that happened a few times in the Dalek serial. Yeah. Yeah. And also they need to like, I hope that they're going to somehow do something about Ping Cho because like, we know she's not looking forward to this, this wedding that she's being taken to. We know she misses her home. 75 year old dude. Yeah, so yeah, either they find some marry. way. It'd be nice if they found some way to send her home, or if maybe they could even like take her with them to yeah, some fun. other place where she could do something else that she actually wants to do. Yeah, and I guess at this point in the show, they haven't really done anything with like changing companions or anything but it would be it'd be a lot of fun if they like just brought her along as a new companion yeah i mean i'd be surprised be, if know, we ever get a Barbara companion and, and susan and ping Joe. if we ever get a companion who's not from like contemporary earth to the time you know that the uh the episodes are being filmed but maybe well i guess if our listeners want to know what happens to Ping Cho, they should tune in next time. Cool. Well, Kyle, thank you for uh, telling me about another episode of Doctor Who. Thank you for listening to me talk about (laughs) another episode of Doctor Who. Of course. Always happy to. And, (laughs) uh, yeah, we'll see you in two weeks. Bye. Bye. Hi, Kyle here. The Doctor's Watcher would like to thank Circuit23 for the awesome theme song he created for us. You can find his music, including our theme, at soundcloud.com circuit23. And you can reach him at circuit.23, that's circuit.23, at gmail.com. Thanks to Benny for listening to me talk about Doctor Who, and thanks to all of you for listening to Benny listen to me talk about Doctor Who. We'd love to hear from you. You can reach us at thedoctorswatcher at gmail.com 
or on Twitter at Dr. Watcher. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a five-star review on iTunes or wherever you review your podcasts. Join us next time on The Doctor's Watcher. Like that. Thank you, Susan. Hmm? A wee bit goldfish. <laughs>